the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions. The interview that we're airing today, we did record several weeks ago. I was able to sit down, uh, you know, one-on-one via Zoom with Ricky Starks. We had such an amazing conversation. I love being able to pick his brain and just hear his insights on how he manifests all things in his career just looking at the career of Ricky Starks, looking at what the future is going to look like for him, what his journey has been to getting to this point of getting all the recognition and, uh, you know, from, from wrestling fans, from his own peers to the spot that he's in now. Also kind of going back to just his time, uh, you know, growing up in New Orleans, being there for Hurricane Katrina, his relationship with his mother and his sister, all just really, really cool conversations to be able to have with this dude. Um, but yeah, just for a little bit of context for you guys, this interview was recorded prior to Ricky Starks fracturing his neck that just came out in the news very recently. Uh, It's looking like he's going to be out apparently three months ish from what I've read. I'm not a doctor. I I don't have a, I don't have any of the answers here. Um, But I mean, of course, for me, from everyone on the oral sessions podcast, everyone at the volume network, just sending out our best wishes to Ricky Starks to have a speedy recovery, take the time to do what he needs to do to heal properly so that we can see him healthy and back in the ring. Obviously health is number one when it comes to absolutely everything in this business. You see a man like Ricky Starks, this is a dude that just has nothing but an amazingly bright future ahead of him. I mean, from wrestling fans to his peers, everyone can just see his star consistently on the ascent. So yeah, looking forward to getting Ricky Starks back in that ring so he can entertain the masses, do the thing that he does absolutely best. But um, here's here's my interview with him. We had such a great chat. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it and just sort of unpeel some of these layers of the Ricky Starks. Here we go. You look so fancy and so cool in this like brick backdrop. What's happening? I can't do anything less than the standard for myself. So I had to go find a nice area uh, here at the studios of DDP Yoga. And uh, I had a lot of options to choose from, but the brick, I feel like the brick is, it kind of represents me in a way, you know? Well, it's like edgy, but also like we know that it's chic and we know that it's like fashion forward. But it has a little grit. You get me off the bat. I get you. I see you. I recognize everything. Um, I would also just like to point out that before we were recording, you pointed out that my wallpaper looks like the 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 Prince Purple Rain album. Yeah. So now when I add that up here, that's going to be my nod to Ricky Starks. And every time I see, it, I say, "Hey, I don't know if you guys knew this story, but that's a bit of me there." Yeah, it's a nod to you. You've you've had your a heavy hand in the decor of of my backdrop for oral sessions. Um, what is going on at DDP Yoga? What are you doing there? Are you in Austin? Is it? It's isn't. Aren't they in Atlanta? Where are they? Where are you? I went to Atlanta because I had to film some vignettes. Right. Got it. So I came here. Uh, I just finished up yoga. Actually, great stuff. The the feeling of sh- standing there shaking while you're trying to hold yourself up on a push up. It's and crazy. Then yourself for ten seconds. Yeah, it was awesome. It is no joke when you see 
the way that DDP transforms people. I mean, it's, I mean, you're a man that's in shape. I don't know what your injury level is or whatever, but when you see people that have been through the gauntlet and their bodies are destroyed or they're like reshaping their bodies, like DDP knows what the fuck is up. I met a guy here who told me he was like 500 pounds and homie's like 220 right now. And he was just telling me like his, his weight loss uh, journey. And I was like, that's insane to think about. Honestly, we were all there sweating our asses off, but is it hot yoga? Yes. They do not turn the air condition on. You like that? I love it. I love it. So I can't do it right now because I'm pregnant. So I can't do hot yoga, but I've, I've been doing um, prenatal yoga throughout my pregnancy and it saved my life. It's weird because it's like, you just have this giant gut that you just let hang out <laughs> and you just kind of like lean into it and like, just let it out, but then like suck it back in. It's, it's weird, but it, it does make a big difference. Um, I was also talking to um, the actor, Paul Walter Hauser, cause he's been training with DDP to get in shape for a movie that he's working on. I met him actually. Isn't he such a cool dude? Really, really nice. Really Huge nice wrestling guy. fan. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, didn't believe it at first, and, but he came up to me. Well, let me rephrase that. I went up to him because I was curious about him. He had such an aura. And I was like, hey, man, I feel like I know you. I feel like I've seen you before. And yeah, we sat down and we had a, a great talk over some White Claws. And it's just a great up and down. Yeah, he's the best. We're going to have him on the show at some point. But yeah, he's he's a hell of a dude. Hell of a character. Hell of a wrestling fan. Um, okay, so you're in Atlanta right now, but you live in Austin, but you are from New Orleans. Were you raised in New Orleans? Yeah, so I, I was raised in New Orleans, grew up there, born there, became a wrestling fan there in New Orleans. Uh, and then we actually moved to Vegas. Oh, uh, right. That's right. You are a Vegas guy. I'm everywhere. It's <laughs> ridiculous. We're the same. Me and That's you are the same, about. dude. <laughs> so I moved to Vegas, lived in New Orleans, moved to Vegas after Katrina. Um, and we actually lived up in the uh, Centennial area. I, I stayed there for about, I want to say five years and then moved to Austin because my mom, my mom's a nurse. My sister's a pediatrics nurse. My mom's RN. She's retired now. So the, the, the issue with Vegas is that in the summertime, you don't get a lot of work as a nurse. You know, there's a period where you struggle a bit and then it picks up after that. She got tired of that. We moved to Vegas and, and or we moved to Austin. And then honestly, I just stayed here since then. I have not moved. John moved out to Vegas maybe like six months before we started dating. I don't know what kind of lifestyle he thought he was going to be having, <laughs> but I interfered. <laughs> like, listen, I'm sure you signed up for this for a hell of a party, but we should be together forever. Um, but we almost did Austin. We were tossing it up between Las Vegas and Austin because Austin, I mean, obviously Austin's such a great city. There's so much to offer there. It's amazing. Would changed you from Austin. John had already lived here. I was living in New York and I was like, I'll just come to where you are. But we even like, we had like a house that we loved there and everything. And like we had, we did TV there and I went and like checked out the house and I was like, maybe this is what we're going to do. But I think what really threw things for a whirl was the traffic. And every time you're there, I mean, this has got to be annoying for people that actually live there, but how many people move to Austin every year where it's just like so overpopulated. It's, it's honestly, it's changed so much from when I moved here or when I moved to Austin in 2008, uh, there's a lot more condos and it, it's kind of, the, the city has kind of lost. It's like, it's, it's appeal a little bit. Like it's, you know, it's little it's getting too big. about it. Yeah. And the traffic sucks too. It's terrible. I can't think of anywhere else I would like to live, 
I have an issue with Vegas because I grew up there young and there wasn't anything for me to do. So I didn't like it, but my family's there still. So I don't know. I'm in between Vegas is cheaper though. I feel like Vegas is very cheap. I mean, that's the bonus of living in Vegas. Obviously it's super cheap. I mean, tax-free, which same Texas is, but it's a great airport to fly in and out of for the amount of travel that everyone that we're all doing. So the airport's amazing. Um, But it's funny because uh, you just really added to my argument with John where I was like, there's nothing for kids to do here. There's nothing. <laughs> so Ricky Stark signed, sealed, delivered. He's on my team. Booyaka. Great. I get the Wednesday um, and I'm going to hear the <laughs> Yeah. Get ready. Hope you like a death match. My friend. <laughs> um, what was it like being in new Orleans during Katrina? It was insane. Actually. Uh, my sister was pregnant at the time. And so I remember she had just had her baby shower the storm hit. We, we had, so we had moved to me and my mom and my brother, we had, we drove up to Vegas. I want to say a few days before the storm like crashed in. Uh, Unfortunately though, since she had her baby shower, she lost all of that. And then we got to Vegas uh, and yeah, we got to Vegas and it was really nice. They set up a whole like a big warehouse where you can go in and get different uh, items for the baby diapers. So she was never, yeah, she was never without uh, at the time, but I just remember her husband drove back to grab all the stuff that he could. And he came back in a U-Haul and nothing but trash bags. And he opened it up and the stench of just uh, uh, mildew. It was, it was just like burned into my brain. And then having to go to school during that time period, a lot of kids were making fun of the people that were having interviews on TV and, and them crying for help. It was a very strange period for me because I remember being in class. They were played it over the intercom of the interviews of people who were you know, stuck on their house or things like that. And just kids laughing. And so most of the time, you know, like during lunch, I would I wouldn't go and sit at the cafeteria. I would always be in the library. I was in such a space of like, dude, I, my whole life is turned upside down in that sense. You know, that's kids being shitty kids. And we know the way that that happens, but like, man, so you guys just lost everything. Essentially everything was pretty much just wiped out clean. And, uh, you know, it was more of a rebuilding stage at that point. Like, so my mom and my brother, we had our stuff, like we had our belongings for the most part. Right. But there's some stuff that we lost that we like, that was irreplaceable. So Katrina is a very, uh, I wouldn't say touchy subject for me, but it's a very weird subject because sometimes it elicits feelings that I kind of just had subdued a bit in, in a positive way. But uh, yeah, it's just very, very bizarre time. And to think about it, like that happened and we live here. That's <laughs> crazy. What was that like for your mom to rebuild her whole life like that? Like, that's got to be really hard to watch your mom go through that. And obviously you're going through it, but like watching her try to land on her feet again. My mom's a very strong person. So we, I have a very small family. It's me, my mom, my brother, my sister, and my niece. Uh, so I, I never knew my father or anything. So she spent a lot of her life taking care of three kids and, you know, managing a household that way. And so for her, I f- to me, it seemed like it was just another thing that she had to do that she was used to already. She jumped right into the work field, was working as a nurse, uh, was picking up like um, extra stuff like per diem shifts. Uh, but she was just keeping it going. And I 
I can't even thank my mom for the stuff that she's done for me and sacrificed. Uh, that's why I have a goal of like buying her a house. That's up there for me to do because she's done so much. Moms get shit done. Right. Like it's, it's really crazy. Like I, I mean, I was raised by my mom I mean, my dad was in the picture, but I didn't see him quite as much as, I mean, I spent most of the time with my mom and watching her like have different jobs and she was always working. Like we, we never went without, like we would have never known if there was like, we would go out to dinner and like, she would take us out. Like, do you guys want to go stay in a hotel for the weekend? And we're like, that sounds great. I'm sure there was some other weird shit going on that we just didn't know about. Cause we were kids, but like you get pr- like, moms just like get, they protect you. And they, they work so hard to just like, just to provide this life for you to live, to not be affected by anything. It was it's amazing. It's so weird. Yeah. It's not weird in that sense, but it's so crazy because I remember I, I turned 15 or 16 and I was like getting into fights with her for no reason. And I don't even remember what they were. And I remember one day she left and I found an old photo album and I was just going through it and like looking at, you know, just having that type of introspective feeling. And I remember a light bulb went off and she came into the house and I started crying. I just apologized to her. I just apologized. And this was the first time I ever saw my mom cry. I saw her like really, really cry. You know what I'm saying? From that point on, it changed my whole perception of a a parent, a parent's uh, status in a child's life to the point where I was like, dude, this person literally gave up everything just to make sure these other three kids can be good in life. We never, just like you said, we were never without, it was great. This is something that would pop in my head when I would fight with my mom or like sort of the like reflection moment afterward is like, you're just a person also doing all these things for the first time. They don't know what they're doing all the time. Like it could be right. It could be wrong. It's like, shit, I don't know. They don't always have the answers, but like to not be forgiving of that or like not keep that in mind, which is hard when you're a kid, obviously, but the way you put it is, is really, really profound just because I like, I think about things like that in that way. Like I, I'm a very self-aware person. So yeah, I never put it that way. Just, I just remember this like, boom, why, why are you even why? Totally. Why are you being a shit? Being a yeah, shit exactly. just to be a shit. I mean, it's, you know, that's being a teenager. I think back to like fights my mom and I would have, and it's like, oh my God, like her and I are so similar that when we butt heads, it is like fucking hell is broken loose. But then like 20 minutes later, we're like, let's go grab lunch. It's fine. Whatever. And like, we're over it two seconds later. But um, who did you have a, a father figure or anyone in your life that kind of stepped in, in that spot? No, not really. Um, I, I had a, a grandparent. So my mom used to send me to um, this lady. She had a, a babysitting, uh, like a, a babysitting job, but it was in her house. And so that sh- that shut down. But I stayed close to that family. Her name was Gail and Norman. And uh, they were they were probably the closest I had to having real grandparents and Norman being a father figure. But you know, outside of that, I really didn't have a father figure, which I mean, it's not a big deal to me. I, uh, I make the joke though, that like a lot of people are like, Oh, you're very feminine. It's like, well, yeah, fool. Like I grew up with a, a, just a mom. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> totally. You know, what's funny is I always find it interesting when like, especially when you're like an adult, we're adults, we're in our thirties. And when you hear people that are still like struggling with like 
dealing with how they were raised or being, you know, like if I didn't have a father figure and I got lost and I didn't know what I was doing, like, of course that, that can happen. But it's like, at the same point, you become an adult and you kind of navigate your own path and you can't always just rely or like kind of lean on, Oh, I went, I had a hard childhood or I went through some weird shit. It's like, grow up. We've got to move on here. You know, you figure it out eventually and then just grow from there. I look back on my childhood and I don't think I had a bad childhood at all. Like, Sounds at like all. you guys did great. Yeah. It, it was not an issue at all. I, I, unfortunately me and Eddie have a joke where he will say something to me like, Oh, you don't know how to throw a football or you don't know how to tie a tie. <laughs> and I always go, Eddie, I grew up without a father, man. So now Eddie beats me to the punch. But if you're not in on the joke, it sounds so awkward to the point where, Oh God, these two are. <laughs> All you can do is laugh at stuff like that and be able to like make a joke and turn it into a, a different spin. Right. When did your love of wrestling start? Uh, five. I was five years old. Mm. And I know that because my brother at the time was a big wrestling fan. And He's older uh, than you. Yeah. My bro- so my sis- I'm the youngest. My sister's the oldest. My brother's the middle child. And then there's me. So me and my sister are similar in personalities. My brother's very shy and quiet. But yeah, he introduced me to wrestling at five. And then it just kept on. And I remember being like eight or nine. I told my mom, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a wrestler. And I'm going to have like a bunch of kids and you have to watch them. <laughs> I stuck to half of that promise. There's still time. There's still time for the rest. I assure I just you. I want two kids. <laughs> no, not a bunch. Well, I mean, it, I feel like now being pregnant, waiting, like I'm like, okay, I've got this baby. I mean, I'm going more against the clock because I am a geriatric at this point, according to um, the health services. Um, but yeah, it's like, okay, how many babies can I crank out here in a, in a small window? Give me twins. Give me twins for the next round so I can shut it down. Yeah, just be done. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I am in the same vein of, uh, you know, doing wrestling and wanting to make sure that I can provide for my family uh, and my, my future kids. And so obviously the, the love of that started at a very early age for me and it's kind of just progressed. I've never did sports. I never watched anything else. I just watched wrestling. It's funny to me, like just doing like my, my research kind of getting ready for this interview, but you have been so singularly focused on just wrestling to me, it seems like that has to be a recipe for success in the sense of like not having your hand in other things. Like you were making this work no matter what. I had no choice. I have no choice but to make it work because it's really the only thing that I've known in a sense. And honestly, the only thing I've ever really loved outside of my family, this is like when I tell you the, the, I'm a very, I'm a Pisces. So I'm a very emotional person and I wear it right here. I get so hyped and emotional over wrestling because that has been the focus point. When I was in Vegas after the Katrina stuff and I was miserable and and depressed, basically all I had was wrestling playing video games with wrestling. Like I had it all. So wrestling was always the constant for me in my life, especially when things weren't going the way that I kind of thought they would, even as I got older. Did you start training out in Vegas? I was actually, I was going to up in Henderson for the Ballard brothers or something like that. It didn't work out at the time because we moved from Henderson to North Las Vegas and then up to Centennial. But I didn't start training until 2011 uh, in Austin, no less, by Mr. Mexico number two, who was 
He was somewhat of a enhancement talent in the California Indies, but man, was he so on point with his basics and his, his mindset of it. But I wish I started earlier, but I guess it just all works out how it does. It all works out 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so funny just watching people's like journey to kind of getting where they're going. Like what jobs did you do to, to kind of keep yourself afloat? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> if, I, if I had a resume, you'd be like, what is this? It's like, it's like 10 pages long. I had so many jobs that ranged from working at Nike. My first job was working at office max I did like bill collection. So I knew what hospitals, that was the good part though. I knew what hospitals did not send your stuff to credit, to get credit check. Um, I used to work at Gucci, no less. Did they give a good discount? What's what the discount at Gucci? The discount was like 25, 25 or 30%, but it was so much that I couldn't afford it either way. Totally. I guess I'll have the, like the money clip, which is probably like $800 either, either way. Yeah. Well, a keychain was like 300. Just a regular keychain. I don't care how rich you are. That's a ridiculous thing to buy. <laughs> it is. Like, there's nothing else you want to spend $300 on. Like, I need to have this keychain. Like, let's get a life here. I don't know, Renee. I actually thought about buying a $500, like, wallet. And it was just a basic lambskin wallet. I said, why would I? That's so dumb. Have you done a stupid purchase like that? Not yet. I'm waiting. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm waiting. Just get ready for, like, the guilt that hits you afterwards. You're like, why the fuck did I just do that? Did I really need that? I, I've done that a few times and it's so stupid. And I would never even tell John what it was on. Cause he'd be like, bitch, are you crazy? I felt like that ordering Uber eats when the, the place was literally down the street from me, like 50 bucks, all hamburger. That was eight bucks. That makes no sense. You know, those hot takes you post on social media. Well, now you can win up to five thousand dollars when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. So here's how it works. FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three-pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of five thousand dollars during every contest. FanDuel is the exclusive home for Over Under, and it's available in all 50 states. You can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash Over Under and sign up now. If you've not done so already, please just do it. You're going to love it. Just create a new FanDuel account. And if you don't already have one, it takes less than two minutes to sign up. Then you put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at FanDuel.com slash Over Under. They could be worth up to 5,000 bucks. Do it. Age and location restrictions apply. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. Um, okay, so you get into the wrestling world. We'll get into the AEW stuff in a second, but I want to make a little pit stop at NWA because I am dying to know. This always fascinates me. What the hell is it like working with Billy Corgan? It's very interesting. I'll tell you that. Billy is a very interesting person just because uh, he doesn't really talk to you. The only time he ever talked to me was, it was like, we were, we're done. We're tearing down after a show. And I was at the merch day when he came over and talked to me. And I'll never forget. He goes, you know, you're kind of like me in a way. He goes, you're an asshole, but people like you. People like us because we're assholes <laughs> and we're funny. And he like told his story, how he basically called out this girl at a show of his, <laughs> but his delivery of it was so funny that the crowd laughed. They didn't like, they didn't like question it. So that was the only time we ever had like an in-depth conversation where he just was like, yeah, you're like me, you're an asshole, but you're funny. And I think we're going to go far. 
I feel like that just like pops in my head sometimes. I'm like, Billy Corgan owns NWA. Like, what is that creative process like? What is he like? I've never met him. I've like seen him in passing at shows and whatnot, but like, I just, it blows my mind that that is a thing that happens in the world of wrestling. He's a huge germaphobe. So he, he won't shake your hand. Like Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel's like that too. Like very like. Yeah. Just very like, like that. Elbow bump, fist bump. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Or yeah. He, he does like a, a air high five. <laughs> well, you know what? In the world of COVID, he's already ahead of the curve. So we'll give him that. Other than that though, he, he is a, he is a very, like if you needed something from him, he does talk to you and he is, he, he will communicate in that sense. But on the surface of things, he just kind of sticks to himself unless you're in that little circle of his. How different is that going from working with somebody like Billy Corgan that like you don't necessarily have that relationship, but to, to now being with somebody like Tony, who's like, you can reach him at all times. He's always there hanging out. Like he's so accessible to people that it's nice to be able to like pitch your creative to like really get a read on him as a person. I find that really rare. So I still operate as if I'm not supposed to be like he's not supposed to be so accessible to me. You know what I'm saying? I think what it is, I've heard stories of how Vince is and I've heard stories of how these other CEOs are and it's kind of been tapped into my brain. And that's how I approach Tony under the, the, the pretense that that's how he is. And it isn't. So there's times where I go up to him and say, Hey man, I'm sorry to bother you. He goes, You're not bothering me. You're not bothering me. It's fine. You're not bothering me. I said, Oh, okay. And I like, I'm still trying to figure out the boundaries there uh, just because I'm so, in my head, how I think a CEO is, it's not the case with Tony. It's almost like, and I mean, I, I don't work for him, so I don't feel that way, but I just have like a friendship with him. But it's like, I feel like with somebody that's in a position like that, it's like, am I taking up too much of your time at this point because you're making yourself so available? Like, am I taking advantage of the fact that I can have this time with you? And I don't know if it is like that at AEW, but I don't know if like other people are kind of like standing around being like, Hey, Ricky, you've been talking to him long enough. Like, let me in there so that I can get my shit in there as well. Like get out of there. <laughs> I, I haven't come across that. I know there's people who like make jokes because they call us, uh, there's a group of us. They call the white house. Who's in the white house. See, you got me pulling back the curtain here. <laughs> That's what we do here in the white house. It's me, Brit, JB, Max. Okay. Those are like the four, right? Okay. And so the joke is they call us the White House because we don't get shit done. We seem to make it worse for ourselves. <laughs> you can't you can't count on us to get something like to get something approved, basically. Like don't don't ask us to pitch anything because it probably <laughs> won't go the way we want it to. Why is that? Like, what do you mean? Like you like you're not good at the pitch or you get like distracted? What happens? Terrible at, at pitching anything, terrible at even just bringing up ideas. I could tell you, hey, I'm thinking about opening an ice cream shop. And by the end of it, you go, yeah, I think I should take this idea and get somebody else to open an ice cream shop. You go, well, hold on. I, that's not what I was trying to say, but all right, we'll do it. There's a real art to that. Like I find anytime I pitch to anything, I mean, whether it was at WWE or to other networks or something, I'm like, I, I instantly have in my head of like, not like a, I'm not worthy, but just like, am I going to start rambling or like, why are we doing this? Show? <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> Halfway so through, fast. in my head, it goes, "Yo, this is a stupid idea," and I go, eh, "You know, what? Don't, don't worry about it." And then I just walk off. Yeah, we don't even pitch things. We just people see us talking to Tony, and I think they get like an idea, and they go, "Oh God!" I was like, "Bro, you even knew what we were talking about? We're talking about Kirby enthusiasm. We're talking about freaking Bon Jovi. Like, just nothing." 
Rest Hell yeah. Little John Bon. I was getting my nails done the other day and this John, a Bon Jovi song came on, but it was like something newer because he looked old in it. And the, the girl working at the thing was like, who is this old white guy playing guitar? Can we change this? I was like, bitch, you better put some respect on his name. That's John Bon. Back it up. I mean, everyone knows living on a prayer. Cue it up. We're ready to go. That's the song you end a karaoke night on. Always. Oh, Okay. I, I mean, my problem is when I do karaoke, I get a little big for the boots where I'm like, who wants to do under pressure? <laughs> like, back off. Like, it, trying to like remember whose lines are whose. And I'm like, usually shit faced by this point. It's a disaster. My song is uh, uh, Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn. Oh, have you heard the version of that with Casey Musgraves with them? It is so good. No, I prefer the original. Her, her version is, is on point too. Well, all I'm saying is that if we're out doing karaoke and you want to hit up a duet, I'm your girl. I'm ready for it. 100%. I'm down to do under pressure. I think I could, I could hang. I think I could. I had another really bad karaoke experience where Lita and I, I can't remember what town we were in, but we were in like some like college town. We're like, let's go do karaoke. And we got up to do let's go crazy. And none of the kids knew what it was. Like, we're like, dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to get through this thing called life. nobody knew what it was. They were all too young. It was a fucking disaster. Embarrassing. Yeah. And shame on them. Seriously. Um, every time I do a Prince song and, and, and it's in karaoke setting, I go all out. I do. I do every. What's your go-to Prince? When doves cry only because Ugh. there's a part where he talks about his mother and his father, but he like mm-hmm. his voice breaks. And I try to hit that same note every time. <laughs> he's spectacular what i mean what a guy that is one concert that i will never like i'm so happy i got to see him in a concert before he died thank you renee thank you for telling me that for rubbing that in sorry sorry i just had to get that i, I need to give myself a little street cred around here too you know i had the chance back in 2007 but i was at work and i couldn't go got bills to pay man we got bills um okay so you're at AEW. you get the call in to come and challenge cody for the tv title Did you know before that match that you were going to get signed? No, here's the weird thing. So Cody, Cody did a promo Wednesday night about how he was going to have an open challenge. Then on Twitter, he said, yeah, this is open to everybody. Literally Thursday, I was at the gym and I had this vision of me walking out, cutting this promo on him, doing this match, et cetera. And I had the same vision again on Friday. On Sunday, I got a text from someone at AEW asking if I wanted to have this match. I was like, hell yeah. At this point, I, I didn't resign with NWA. The way that they were going, I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of it. And it didn't really fit with what I had in my mind. And keep in mind, at this point, when I got the text from AEW, I never reached out to them to try to, to, to get on. I stopped by in Austin when they came for a show just to see my friends. I wasn't trying to get a job or anything because I wanted to do it on my own merit. I didn't want, that's how my whole career has been. I, I've done everything myself and I like that. And, uh, and so I got that text, <laughs> got the, 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 the ticket flew in on a Tuesday. We filmed something. We filmed something that early Wednesday that was going to be used for like B-roll stuff. But as we're doing the promo, like I was, it's an interview, essentially, as we're doing it, um, the guy, Dylan said, dude, this is so good. And he chopped it up and made a a quick promo package that he showed Tony. Tony's like, oh yeah, let's put it up there. 
Otherwise, I wasn't going to have a promo before I came out. When I tell you I got the promo and then I saw my entrance and then I started the, the theme song, it, I've never experienced that before, ever. And the match was great. I loved it. And I literally went home that day thinking, okay, so now I can raise my price on the indies and be good. And then eventually once the pandemic is over, AEW will see like, oh, this dude's pretty popular. Let's reach out to him. That's how I had it. Obviously, it didn't go that way at the end, which is great. But so weird to think about that. I, I essentially manifested all the way through. I love your whole thing about manifestation because it seems like you just make shit happen. I don't know if you just have horseshoes up your ass or like what is going on, but like you like, what is that? Have you just been like a lucky and not daunted to his credit, obviously the work that you're putting in, but like you just shit just seems like it works out for you the way that it is supposed to. You know what I think it is? I, I I've been through a lot in terms of sacrifices for wrestling, right? I'm not about to romanticize sleeping in my car or, you know, moving to St. Louis and that not working out. That has all happened to me, but that is because that's what I thought I needed to do to make it to where I wanted to go. At a certain point, I stopped being so sad about it. I said, okay, well, things will just work out. That's my model. Things will just work itself out. So when I didn't have, when I didn't have uh, money, right. I remember going through my shoebox and finding 150 bucks just in there. I was like, oh, what? At a certain point, it's not a coincidence anymore. It's all about how I perceived myself in life and how I didn't really let the, the negatives take over. And I have constantly and been in so many situations. Most recently, when I wrestled Cody, I had maybe like, uh, I can't remember the amount now. I was like, I want to say three bucks, but it wasn't three bucks. It, it was a little bit more than that. But it was, it was under 10 bucks when I wrestled Cody for sure. And I had just basically moved out of my friend's couch and got an apartment, not knowing how I was going to pay the next month's rent. So like, I, I, it may seem like I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing next, but I do somehow, if that makes sense. I mean, I guess it's like a combination of sort of like having faith in yourself and you are putting in the work, obviously, like you're grinding away and you have been for a long time. So it's not just like, I just fell into this random thing. It's not that you're setting yourself up for these situations and then you're prepared for them once that opportunity is there for you to like seize that moment and like really make that happen. It's just funny, like how stuff like that works out for certain people. And I feel like looking at you, you seem like one of those people that is at the very brink of like shit about to blow up. Like, I feel like you have so much stuff in front of you that you don't even know about yet, which is so exciting. Do you feel that? Do you feel like that energy? Every day I wake up and I, I promise you, Renee, I feel like there's this like weird glow this, this weird feeling of like, oh, something, a new adventure is about to start, a new adventure is about to start. And that's how I wake up every day with that. And I don't know what it is. Some days I wake up and I'm like aggravated or mad, but I still have that. And I don't know, you're, you're the, the second person. My mom said the same thing literally last week about this. Me and your mom are synced up. I, I feel like you're in the blood. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's on the horizon. I can't predict it, but all I can do is write down my, my affirmations. I write down the things that I want to manifest and I just keep it that way. 
Is that like an everyday thing that you do? Like actually writing it down? Essentially, I write down in my journal, I go, I am happy and grateful now that. So I'm already, I'm writing it as if it's already happened as opposed to, you know, I want this. Let's say I said, I am happy and grateful now that I was able to buy my mom a house. That helps me. I like doing that. Uh, And I still maintain the course. I still do everything that I should, all the work. But I just, I don't know. I guess that's the secret someone told me. Oh yeah, that's what the secret is about. Like I read it. Which is funny because I always think of Ryback being like the big, like the secret guy. And he destroyed you one time on TV. I remember. (laughs) Where, what, where was that? What, where, where, what TV taping was that? Like what city were we in? So that took place in Laredo at the energy center. I got slapped in the face three times. He never told me he was going to slap me. So when you see me like tense up, that's me being legit. Because initially I was like trying to cry. And Michael Hayes came in and goes, you ain't going to cry like that, would you? In a real fight, would you? I said, hell no, you're right. I bow up to a motherfucker. But I, I really enjoyed it. They paid for my shirt that he ripped up. I remember walking to the back and Miz and Punk were like, oh, good job on, on that whole segment, et cetera, et cetera. And that was the end of it. Those are two guys that don't just dole out compliments. So that's good. It was really nice of him. I really enjoyed it. Um, so when you came to WWE, we got to work with Jinder Mahal, Kane. Uh, who? There was somebody else too. Did I miss somebody other than Ryback? Let me see. It was, yeah. So Jinder, Kane, Ryback, FTR. FTR, yes. And I think that's it. What is like the experience coming into WWE as an extra? Uh, so are we talking about when I was first, like when I was like brand new into the business? Because when I was brand new into the business and getting the call, I was like, Oh, this is how I get hired. And it's a great feeling. You go there. Honestly, that's how I learned the most. I, I sat up on raw days. I sat up in the bleach in the crowd with Regal while they're testing the music. I'm sure you remember that. And here, tell me these stories and me asking questions. And I'm a very observant person. So sometimes I just sit back and I just watch, like I just watch everything. And it was great. It was an awesome time. But I think for me at a certain point, I got tired of it because I felt like there was a a ceiling that I just kept hitting every time I came. It's like, well, if y'all didn't care for me after the 17th time, how is this, you know, 30th time going to be any different? And you get that experience under your belt that at least, you know, what it's like to like, even just to see like what a TV day looks like to like, see the crew setting up the ring and to see people going over their matches and people getting their scripts and like figuring out just sort of how the entire production works. Like that alone is pretty invaluable. The whole setup though, to it, every time I went, I was still in awe and I can't explain to you why I've seen it a million times, but just see so many people run about to change out the mats or even, you know, during commercial too, it's insane. Just a very crazy setting to watch when you walk into that arena part and see the normal lighting and things like that, and the, the stage and whatnot. It was fun. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA InPlay turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. 
So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in-play, so the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA in-play is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA in-play today. What do you want to do in wrestling? How do you see your career going as like as you're manifesting these things? What's kind of on your vision board for how you see things going in the next like five years? So my goal is to essentially be the wrestler that I wish I had when I was younger, right? In terms of, I don't really think there's someone that looks like me on TV right now, or I don't think there's anyone that is, that can represent, you know, a multiracial guy from New Orleans who literally just came out of obscurity in a, in a sense. So I want to be that because that's what I wish I had when I was younger. And I want to be the person to take wrestling out of this bubble because wrestling is all cyclical. And I feel like we are on the, the, you know, that turnabout where we're going to hit a peak. And I really want to be that person to lead the charge of it being popular, not being so corny. There's like that stigma that comes with wrestling. And as it, as you said, it's cyclical of it kind of shaking that off. And all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, wrestling fucking rules to like it getting back to that point. And you're right. It is getting into like that sweet spot again. I want to be responsible for that. I want to be responsible for the emotional part of you watching. I feel like we're kind of desensitized when we watch wrestling nowadays. God does this, he does that. You go, okay. But I want to bring that emotional part into it. And so I want to be that guy. I want to make the company a lot of money. I want to have a a, a lasting legacy that people can look back, especially my family and my kids. They can say, damn, he did a lot. You know what I'm saying? Even the small things. And then go off and then go do movies and rest up my body. I'm all about be like water. You know what I'm saying? Do you have any like mentors? Has anyone taken you under their wing yet? No, I wish. I'm pretty much a self-taught type of person. There's people right now though, that I talk to that I feel like help me out and guiding me. Uh, Eddie is definitely one of them. I talked to Cody a bit. I actually talked to John. John was the one that told me about one night randomly. John talked to me for a very long time. Sometimes you get cornered like that with him. Yeah. I loved it. I loved, he didn't treat me any different. He just talked to me like a straight dude. And uh, he basically set me up to, to get a house, to get investments, to stop doing this renting shit, take control of my life in terms of being financially stable. And uh, it meant a lot. I don't know if he remembers it, but. He really is like the king of that. And I feel like he checks me on that sometimes too. The other day we were like walking into like Target and his like shoes have holes. And I'm like, dude, or we were going to like Lowe's, not that it matters. Uh, but I was like, dude, you're like the worst rich guy. He goes, that's how I stay rich, baby. And I was like, well, can't argue that. <laughs> It worked. <laughs> but but from that conversation though, I feel like that door has been open now. So if I ever need to ask for something, I don't think he would ever. No, it's funny because I feel like people always think that he's kind of unapproachable. And I know that he makes himself that way. And I don't even think that he does it cognizantly. He doesn't real because sometimes I'm like, dude, you make it so hard for people to talk to you sometimes. And he's like, how? What are you talking about? Like, he doesn't he doesn't get that he's like that sometimes. Uh, but then once he has that relationship with people in that rapport, he he loves it. 
He's all about it. So yeah, I get it. Honestly, I get it. If there ain't nothing to talk about, why even try? I hate small talk. So don't even approach me with it. And that's how he is backstage. If there ain't nothing to talk, he keeps it moving. I wish that I could take a page out of his book because he conserves his energy for the shit that he needs it for, where I waste my energy all motherfucking day. Who wants to talk? Who needs what? I'm here for everybody. Where like I get burnt out sometimes. And he's like, well, why are you doing that? Why are you on social media then? Why are you having these conversations? Like, I don't know. I think people just assume that from me. I wish I could be like that. It's a skill. My wife has to have the same attributes that John has. And I know that sounds weird, but I need someone to level me out because I feel like you and I are kind of the same where it's like, hello, I, I can't just yes. not talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I have to like push him in front of me. Can you like deal with this? Can you shut this down? Cause I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say like I'm bad at saying no. That is the thing I'm like learning of like, not just like agreeing to do things or like, you know, whatever, expending energy when I don't need to, but that is like something you need to learn to do. You need someone to step in. I am literally, Oh my God, I'm learning the same thing. I I've been, I, this was my resolution for the new year. I've started to tell people, Hey Ricky, if you really don't want to do it, just tell them no. And I just, I say, I don't want to go out. I don't want to do that. And it's so good. Isn't it such a relief to do that? My mom just sent me a book called like the power of saying no. And I'm like, I, I do need to sit and read through this because it's powerful to go. I don't want to do this. And no one even gives a shit, but you think that people are going to care, but they don't care. And also too, it's my choice to not want to go to a store or a bar with you or whatever the case may be. If I'm saying no, I'm saying no for a reason. I don't have to give you an explanation. I just don't want to do it. No means no, bitch. <laughs> Um, okay. So you mentioned your future wife. Um, what do you look for in a woman? Do you, are you dating? What do you, what is happening in your love life? Cause I feel like you have a lot to offer and we need to get it out there to the world. I don't know if I'm dating, like I've gone on dates with pedestrians, but because people that aren't in the business don't understand this wacko carny life. Right. And it's very hard on relationships too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm definitely am open to dating. I mean, I haven't had much luck of anything in terms of, of getting uh, continuous dates. You know what I'm saying? You're not getting the callback. No. Yeah. Right. Not even a callback. It's, it's more of a, uh, I'm losing interest halfway through. I feel like. How, who are these people? What do they want from you? What I think it is, is they want someone who isn't so comfortable up front. Maybe that's how I am. I get, com- I'm just comfortable with people. I can meet you the first time I can get comfortable. So I think that's kind of a turnoff, especially, I don't know, maybe because they just aren't used to it. Uh, do they think when you come in there and you're so comfortable, they're like, oh, he's one of those guys. Do they think that you're just like a player and you're like kind of dating all these people? Like you, they think that you're just that guy. I don't want to just be going on dates with all these people. That's a lot of <laughs> yeah. time I have to like, expend. Okay? Yeah, I don't do that. that's interesting. Do you, do you go on like dating apps? You know, I did the Tinder and, and the Bumble thing, but uh, it is a blow to your self-esteem. Can you see when people pass on you? I can't see because I, I haven't paid for it. I just do the free, okay. you know, the free version. But, you know, when you don't get any matches, then you're like, hmm, what's going on here? So I <laughs> go through and delete them. And then I'm way better, way better about myself because like, what is, what is that? You know? 
That's true. That would be a blow to the ego. If you're like, why is my phone not blowing up? <laughs> what the hell? Straight <laughs> up with you. There's times where some of my, my grievances are all ego based, right? It's like, well, why, why doesn't that person want me? Like, look at me. I feel like every person should be like that, by the way. Set the bar. Yeah. My bar is high. Some people call me picky. I'm not picky. I'm just, I've been single for a bit now, so I know what I want and I'm not about to settle for less than that. Have you been in like a long-term relationship? So what's long-term to you? What's, what's the definition of long-term? I mean, I would say like a year. Ooh, I'm short of that cutoff date. Yeah. <laughs> you know so why? no. It's because <laughs> I put so much focus into wrestling and this is my, my philosophy, right? My philosophy is if I put a hundred percent into wrestling, I cannot give you a hundred percent as far as attention goes. That is unfair to the person. I'm not, it's not going to be equal. So I would rather get my footing right first and then be able to go, Hey, I got my stuff together. Let me see if I can find someone who has their stuff together and let's converge. And let's see what happens. Well, it's, I think it's also sort of that thing of like, you're like what we were talking about earlier. It's like, you're already hustling, doing your thing. When the right thing comes along, it just comes along. I mean, that's what happened with John. I like, I had been in relationships prior to being with John. And uh, as soon as we met, we had no say in the matter. It's just like, oh, I guess I'll see you <laughs> at the grave. We're in this till the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that was just how it went. And we, neither of us were seeking it out. It just kind of happened. He like fell into my lap kind of. And that's how I, I think about it now too. So I don't really go out looking to find somebody. I just stay in my lane. It's like, well, whatever person I attract to me, as far as what my energy gives off, then that's fine. Then we'll, we'll assess it from there and see if it works. If it works, if it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'm not about to go out just constantly like, oh my God, I can't find a chick. That's not fun. Did Bailey ever tell you about the time that I thought that you guys were dating and I got so excited? <laughs> Is it from an Instagram post? Because she has gotten that once or twice. She texted it to me and I was like, wait, are what? Because I was, I did not know of, I wasn't familiar with you and Aaron Solo having been tag teams. I didn't know that it was like this intricate relationship. And I was like, are you dating Ricky Stark? She was like, no, he's like my brother. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Because I was like, he seems so fucking great. Because it, it was shortly after we had hung out in Jacksonville and we were playing um, the beer pong. Oh my god! Yeah, flip it cup was short. Was it yeah, the flip cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a great time. It was a great time. We were Do partners. We were on the same team. Yeah, we were. Yeah, I feel like we actually had a pretty solid team. We were kind of crushing it. We what were, I remember we were really good on the, the flip cup. Like really good. We don't mess around on our team. Stay on our side of the line. We're good to go. Um, but yeah, I remember uh, Pam being like, no. Oral Sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Uh, why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game. And I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match of up to 500 smackaroos 
when you make your first deposit. Just go to fanduel.com slash cowherd for more info. Fanduel.com slash cowherd. Fanduel, more ways to win. Your fashion. You are quite the fashionable man. Who do you look to? How important is appearance to you? Because you always seem like you're running a tight fashion ship. I've always liked fashion for whatever reason. I just like looking good. And I like expressing myself in terms of the clothes that I wear. And so trying to think of people that I actually look to for fashion uh, advice. There's people like Tom Ford that I like. Um, Believe it or not, Gucci has some really nice men's outfits in terms of the pants or like a jacket. Alexander Wayne. uh, Who else? Those are the main people. And honestly, I just go through, I have like a Tumblr and I have a Pinterest, right? And sometimes whatever is curated on that main page, I'll just scroll through and I just get ideas from other people who have done similar styles, especially when I went to Japan and I went to the Shibuya, which is like the Times Square, people had great fashion. Like, Is that near where Harajuku is? Yes. It is, yes, right? It is. Yeah. Very close. I love that place too. But people had great fashion since there. And I was just so in awe. Just people get off the train, just dressed to the nines. So this is your everyday outfit? Like, damn, look at me in just some, I don't know, <laughs> Lululemon shorts and an awning shirt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I really miss during all this COVIDness is like, because there's times I'm like, oh, I should put on a cute outfit. And I'm like, what's the point? I'm not going anywhere. But like, yeah, you miss some of that stuff. Bring, bring that fashion back to it. You know what? I'm trying to. I'm trying to bring fashion back into wrestling. We don't need to just have people come out in their shirts yes. and some true jeans. We just <laughs> hey, spice it up. Spice it up. We don't need your thick stitched jeans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always get that rock comparison. Yeah, that's so crazy though, because the rock comparison is like, yo, rock wasn't the only person who dressed nice. Like, I get that we kind of look alike, but people always just have to draw some kind of parallel all the time to be like, Oh, they want to put you in a box. If he's like this guy or he's like this or whatever, obviously not bad company to be in with the rock, but yeah, at all. Yeah. It's not bad. Did you ever get that? Did you ever get parallels drawn all the time? I get ones from like, I've always gotten Kirsten Dunst since I was like little from like when she did like the Virgin suicide. People are like, Oh, you're Kirsten Dunst. Um, I get Kristen bell a lot. This is about to really expose me. But in my head, they're the same people. Like it's always some other blonde lady. Me and you know, I'm I'm like white blonde woman number eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> same shit. <laughs> Who else do you get? Uh, I get The Rock. I get Bruno Mars. Yes. I used to get. Uh, I feel like Bruno Mars with the fashion too. I actually don't care for Bruno Mars, so it's every time I hear, it, I go, ugh. Too short. Yeah, just something about it. I don't like. I think it's the pompadour hairstyle. Okay. You know who else? Uh, Mark Wahlberg, actually, when I had shorter. Oh, interesting. And then I got in Cena quite a bit when I had really short hair, like almost close to like a buzz. That's really funny. I mean, they are very, they, I mean, they, you put Cena and Mark Wahlberg in the exact same box too. Looks wise. If you think about it, all the people I've been compared to are people with huge heads and very, very big. Uh, <laughs> that is like a thing because anytime you see like really famous people, 
they have large heads, large nose or lips or just a big forehead, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. It's the look that just like reads beautifully on camera. It works. I'm thankful. Honestly, I'm thankful for that, because if I was ugly, I definitely wouldn't have had a career. <laughs> you'd have to work a hell of a lot harder. So you'd still be in St. Louis in your car. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> all right ricky i'll let you get back to your day i really enjoyed having you on the show it was a lot of fun hanging out with you send my best to ddp go get your yoga on and uh see you in jacksonville soon i'll see you soon so much to Ricky for taking the time to join me on this podcast, being open, uh, you know, talking about his family, talking about his mom and his sister and his relationships and the things that he wants to do with his career. I love that he spends so much time manifesting things and just making his own destiny come true. I think it's it's such a cool story. I love the way that his mind works and the hard work that he puts in to, to get where he wants to be. Again, speedy recovery to Ricky Starks. Cannot wait to see this man step back in the ring. Come back better, stronger, fired up, ready to go. Obviously, your fan base and uh, everyone at AEW and in the wrestling community will be anxiously awaiting your return back inside that ring. Uh, All right, guys, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. Follow the Volume Podcast Network at The Volume Sports, both on Instagram and Twitter. And you guys can check us out on YouTube as well because we will be airing this entire interview with Ricky Starks. You guys can watch that if you care to watch us have a little chit chat on Zoom. All right, guys, this is it for me. I will uh, talk to you next time on Oral Sessions. Oral Sessions.